the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I wonder if you ever heard of this man. His name is Carlos Kaiser. He played, well, he had a 12-year-long professional football career, soccer career, in which he never played a single game. In fact, that was his goal. He wanted to get into professional soccer, but he never wanted to play. And so he had the physique and the skill set, at least outwardly, of being a great soccer player, but he didn't really have the skills to cut it with a team. So his ruse was this. Every time he'd get picked up by a new club, he'd say he needed some time to get in the physical shape to play. Um, when it was past his time to be put on the field and he knew they were growing impatient, he'd fake an injury at practice and his local friend, who was a dentist, would vouch as the doctor that says that, yes, indeed, um, he was injured. All the while, he found that he could use his social skills to befriend the highest tier level athletes, the best journalists, and so he built his resume. Uh, this was in the 80s, so you couldn't do a deep digital dive, but he'd carry on toy cell phones and have loud conversations that appeared that his career was moving forward and he was getting traded by this group and that. And, and others would pick these stories up and they'd publish it. So he'd get traded from team to team. The closest he ever got to playing was when one team was so fed up, they just threw him in the game without any notice. Not having an out, he ran right in the middle of a skirmish with the other team, got red carded and thrown right back out of the game. <laughs> so he held his own for 12 years as a professional athlete that never played a game once. Fake it till you make it, right? Um, on the outward appearance, he was a success. He was a top-tier athlete. He was the best of the best. But eventually it caught up with him, and his smoke and mirrors appearance was found out. And I think all he has to show for it now is a great documentary about the ruse that he's pulled in professional um, soccer. In many ways, I was um, intrigued by this story as we approach this season of Lent. Because in Matthew 6, before us today, um, is a cautionary tale that Jesus tells us um, that we read every year on this night when we begin our Lenten journey. One that calls us beyond just outward signs and appearance to the harder, more inward work of the attention of our own soul's health. So much of that work is difficult, but it's necessary and needful for our journey with Jesus. One that is marked not by just bringing part of our lives or the areas that we don't mind bringing into the light of Jesus Christ, but one that requires us to bring our whole self, warts and all, into the presence of Jesus so that we might grow to be more transformed in his likeness. So tonight, let's revisit Matthew 6. You have it in your bulletins. You can follow along on the screen. If you've got your Bible, um, take a look at it with me as well. One that reminds us of an inward work that is manifest by outward signs, yes. But if we focus on the outward, we miss what the true teaching therein is. In these three different examples, which the church has historically pulled forward as the three pillars or the three practices of Lent, 
are great reminders of outward signs that should call us back to God. Now, when we read through these, when we hear them read, and as we just reflected on them, usually our, our knee-jerk reaction is, we got it. We got it, Jesus. We shouldn't do these things to be seen by others, and therefore we should do them only in the presence of God, and there we receive our reward. That's half true, but if we think that's all that's going on, we miss the deeper meaning that Jesus is pulling forward. At a, at a first glance, in this first pillar, which is almsgiving, in verse 1, we read um, that the reason that those who present their alms, as you may recall if you've seen in the back of uh, your Bible some of those images, right, of these really ornate uh, kind of horn-looking structures where, you know, your, your coins would go round and round, kind of like in a, uh, a children's museum. Remember where you could spin the coins and they'd go down? It was something akin to that. It would be so long, so loud, everyone knew how many pieces you dropped in. It was a very visible, a very loud, a very public affair. So Jesus calls that out, of course, and says, well, you've received your reward. I mean, everybody knows what you've done, um, so you've gotten the accolades of those present, have you not? But if you really want to be rewarded by God, um, keep that between you and the Lord. Um, and if you do so, your reward from him will be much greater. Then we fast forward um, in this outward and inward uh, back and forth in verse 5, this, this second pillar of Lent, which is fasting, right? Um, which in a culture that is very different from our own, we remember um, in the Jewish culture, it, you know, church and state, we, we look at it anachronistically. I mean, it was one. Um, the, uh, the religious culture and the public culture, even the councils of the, the, the age were all tied up together. And so it would be not uncommon that um, people would be outside praying quite publicly. Um, it became an affair when you would pray outside publicly so that everyone would hear you. Um, they were public acts, of course. And so Jesus says again, you've received your reward. People see how holy you are. They can hear you with your ornate prayers and your, your great oratory. That, that's great. Um, you've, you've received the recognition of others. But if you want to be rewarded by God, let it be known to God um, alone. Actually, I'm on prayer, aren't I? This is fasting um, that is next. The last one is fasting. And so, again, um, the whole point at that time would be to see others uh, for what they were. So you heard it in Joel. They'd call public fasts at times. Um, some would look disheveled. Um, some might even have ashes or dirt uh, visibly on them so as to depict that they were going through a season of repentance and return. It was a very public affair in some ways. And so Jesus says again, you've already received your reward. People get it. Um, you're fasting. They, you, you've made a sign and, a, and, a, and a, an appearance of it. And therefore, you've received your accolades once more. But if you want to be uh, acknowledged or rewarded by God, let it be known um, to God alone and even hide it. Uh, wash your face, put oil on your head, look as though um, you're quite well, and you'll receive your reward by God. On the surface, it just seems to be a volley, outward, inward, outward, inward, on each of those practices. And while that is true, the deeper point, believe, that Jesus pulls forward is one of intention. What is the reason for which we do those things? Not just to be rewarded by God alone, yes, which is true, but in each that it should draw one nearer to God. What is the intention in undertaking them in the first place? 
the mortification of the flesh, the denial of self, all of these acts were intended to draw one back to God. Put differently, um, each act was intended to imprint more of the image of Jesus upon one's life, to conform us to be more as he is, as Jesus calls others into that. So we sacrifice, at least um, as we go through this season of Lent, we sacrifice, we deny ourselves of certain things only towards the end that we should be more conformed to be as Jesus is. These historic pillars of almsgiving and prayer and fasting um, rightly touch upon uh, the areas that typically are God's both then and now. Money um, and power, our time, and even our self-autonomy, our self-independence, our self which often is depicted more in our own gluttony. When each is denied, the void that it creates is intended to slow us down so that we might see our reliance more fully upon God and to draw us back to Him. That should be the reason we undertake these things. Yes, we receive a reward by God, um, but it shouldn't just be to say, we, we, we did a Holy Lent, we gave up chocolate, we gave up something, we did what we were supposed to do, we ticked a box, or even just to be known even in silence by God, uh, to, to do something that we feel is a goal or a must. But it should be something that spurs our hearts if we work that out before the Lord toward the end that our intention is to grow to be more as Jesus is. The outward acts should actually flow forth from an inward change. Um, that is the whole purpose. Transformation of heart, transformation of life in the Christian life is always an inside-out affair. Um, by the time it makes it outwardly, it should have been worked out inwardly um, in fear and trembling before the Lord and the things and decisions we've made. Um, but if we think that the outward acts will bring by themselves inward change, we'll be searching and grasping for things all our days. And so the call of Lent is to look at our hearts so that what that may be um, may draw us nearer to the Lord. What we may need to deny ourselves of may be that uh, that we seek. If we do anything less, Jesus warns us, we lay up treasures in heaven, which, I mean, treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven, as we see at the end of our passage, which more or less um, fades. Glory fades, accolades cease, resources dry up, people read plaques and wings of buildings and don't know who they are anymore. Um, all of these things amount to very little um, in the grand economy of things. But if we seek the treasure that is in heaven, if our intent is to be more as Jesus is and our hearts are there surely fixed, the beauty of that is that our hearts are anchored in eternity as well. The reward is that our heart is reoriented upon a different reward, not recognition, not some other uh, effort or goal, but rather upon heavenly things, heavenly priorities, the things that move the heart of God. Put differently, if our heart pursues heavenly treasure above the treasures of this world, they will always pale in comparison. And so these practices of almsgiving, of greater times of prayer, of fasting, are intended uh, to remove things from our day-to-day -day life toward the end that we might have our hearts reoriented on something greater. 
kind of flips the way we look at life. We, we often talk about things in a way that depicts the reality we see them. For instance, we often talk about, I have a prayer life. Um, I, I should create more time for my prayer life. Lent calls that forward. And that's great, but we talk about our prayer life like we'd talk about our, our, our leisure life, um, our love life, for some other thing, rather than looking at a life of prayer, not a, a, segment, a segment of our lives that we give to God, but rather seeing the whole of our lives as, as a prayerful work. That's just one example, but I think what we're called to is just a reorientation of our priorities and our hearts, because the, the treasure... Um, which often in our day and age uh, we, we miss, is that we think that the heavenly treasure is kind of like an accrued bank account that we'll see someday, um, you know. But really, the, the joy of it is this heavenly treasure is something that we reap the benefits of every day. Because what we invest in, where our hearts are reoriented, then our lives and our values and our priorities shift. And so we, we access that heavenly reward as our hearts are shifted towards what matters most in this life. And then the beautiful thing is that when our hearts just begin to orient a bit more towards heavenly things, then nothing in this world can rob us of that bank account. Nothing can void it. Nothing um, can remove from it, whether it's violence or virus, income or incarceration, strength or stress, whatever season we go through in life, nothing touches that because it is set apart from all of the circumstances of this life, because our investment, our priorities, and our hearts are firmly anchored in eternity. We catch glimpses of it now. Sure, we will not see the fullness of it until Jesus returns, but we're able to press on in different ways, to lead life differently, to be generous even when it makes no sense, to make time when we think we have no time, to, to create space for others, even when we ourselves may feel maxed out. We begin to sacrifice for the kingdom of God and its advancement because its reward, the presence of Jesus in the midst of it, is the reward we receive in the here and now that keeps us anchored until his return. So today, as we embark upon Lent, let me at least say, don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, Almsgiving, fasting, and prayer are good and holy things to do. What I am saying is earnestly look at what you're going to do over these 40 days. Make the sacrifices that will make room for you to reorient your heart, whatever that may be. In the silence of your own heart, you know what that is. My calendar's too full. I'm too stressed. I have too much anxiety. Therefore, maybe I need to give something up. Maybe I need to fast at lunch, so I have an hour instead of going somewhere, I can just sit in the presence of Jesus and read a devotional that you can pick up on the way out today. Um, if our hearts are, are chasing other things, then by all means, give up shopping, give up um, buying alcohol, give up whatever that is. And whatever void that creates, allow that to be an offering back to God. Use those alms to give towards the work of our brothers and sisters in Myanmar, which is the effort of the Anglican Church in all of North America this Lent. If, indeed, our heart um, is such that we need to create um, more times, whatever that may be, it should be that we've responded, we've repented, we've returned, and we've reoriented our lives so that on the other end of these 40 days, we might emerge just a bit more, by God's grace, as Jesus is. That 
is the work to which we are called. And that is the work that we devote ourselves. So today, as our service began, you heard, and I'd implore you once more, keep a holy Lent, and in so doing, grow in holiness and wholeness of life that is only found as you pursue an upward call of Jesus Christ upon your life in these 40 days. As you do so, know you're in my prayers and our prayers, and we are available to you over these 40 days to assist you in any way that we can. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.